Welcome to an episode of the podcast Art Insiders New York. My name is Anders Holst. The theme of the podcast is New York with a focus on behind the scenes conversations with fascinating people who are making an impact in the world of art, design and architecture. Today we welcome Irish-born, New York-based designer Cloda to the podcast. She has an honorary doctorate from the New York School of Interior Design and the San Francisco Academy of Art. She's a member of the Interior Design Hall of Fame and holds a spot on Architectural Digest Top 100 Interior Designers. Cloda won the Leader in Sustainability Award for spearheading wellness design at the Global Wellness Summit which took place in Cesena, Italy. Cloda was an early adopter of Feng Shui in her design practice and is now continuing her innovative approach by integrating concepts like chromotherapy and biophilia with sustainable material that contributes to her unique look, structure and flow that appeals to all human senses. So here we are, and thank you so much for inviting me to your wonderful place. We are on 23rd Street. Top floor, big windows, wonderful light and um, beautiful things all over the place and drawings and those bakery carts you told me about. Baker's carts. Baker's carts. <laughs> so every project has a cart. Every project has a cart. And some projects have three carts or four carts. <laughs> so whenever you want to jump into a project, you go and look for your cart and you pull it out and you rumble through it. Yeah, into the computer, into the cart. Wow. I find it uh, very, very practical. It is. Instead of running around and trying to find all the documents yeah. and materials, you have them and they're mobile. So it's a, it's a beautiful environment. It's almost like a studio, almost like a factory, not a factory. What would you say? Like a, like a workshop? Like a workshop, yeah. Artist studio. Full of life, full of people and, and stuff everywhere, but uh, orderly. It's great to, to welcome you to the show. And we, as we walked around here, you, you, you told me that you have a special title too, that you... you uh, I have a very important title, CPIA. Yeah, I never heard of that title no? before. No? That's interesting. Yeah. I can't explain it to you. Yeah, would you mind? Chief pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, so underneath this um, uh, beautiful and calm uh, surface, you... you, you, you uh, you understand that there is uh, cold steel. Um, well, even further than that, um, I was once asked to describe my character. Yeah. And uh, I said, maybe a sensitive army tank. <laughs> and I'm standing next to my husband who said, not always that sensitive. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, I saw there was, uh, we, we visited your office and I saw there was a, uh, one of your clients that sent you a little um, a bag for your stuff, and it's uh, on, uh, on the outside. It says "adorable badass." So, <laughs> so I'm I'm hope I get you on a good day then. <laughs> so, tell me a little bit about. Um, see what I've been thinking about when I did the, the research here about you. That, uh, and I was thinking about design. There's something that comes before you actually design something, and in your case. Uh, the way I would describe it is that you have a mixture of, of spirituality and, and a knowledge about human nature and what puts us at ease, what makes our environment safe. And you said that most of the places that you work with should feel like a big hug. So I'm interested in where does that come from, that talent? 
before you even put together stuff, before you even choose uh, colors or, or material and stuff like that? Where, where, where does that come from? I think it actually came from always being an alien. My parents were downwardly mobile, and we moved five times before I was 16. <laughs> I, I was like a, an Irish army brat, brat without having the army person in the family. Yeah. And um, then I changed husbands' countries and careers and went to another country, and then I came from that country, Spain, to the States, so I had three countries in my background. Yeah. And I've traveled in over 100 countries now, and the one consistent thing is that people love to smile, love to be hugged, love to have ease of self and comfort. Yeah. And the best homes or best hotels I ever visit are, are like walking into your own you know, into your own home, into your own backyard. Yeah. A sense of welcome. You know when you go into a restaurant and the Metro yeah. D acknowledges you? Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to shift people's perception that it's not about stuff, it's body, mind, spirit. Mm. I see. So you grew up, uh, you were born in Ireland? The west of Ireland, in Oscar Wilde's country home. Oh, I see. Hence all the quotes on the wall. I see. I was, I was belting out quotes when I had a very young age. I love this article I read about this woman who went into a vintage store and picked out a dress by Cloda of Dublin. Mm -hmm. So you started as a fashion designer. Uh, yes, my, my father had designated a career for each of his three children. Mm -hmm. Mine was to be classics and mathematics and be a professor in Trinity College. Hmm. My brother was another career, my sister was another career, and I broke my back when I was 15. And I was just, just before I was 16, I was lying on my back reading the Irish Times and said, why not be a dress designer? So um, I started my own business when I was 17 with 400 pounds borrowed from my mother. Yeah. And my father kicked me out. Really? Yeah. Our family didn't go into trade. Oh, I see. Yes. Oh. But when I got a nice article in the Irish Times, I was allowed to go back home again from time to time. Mm, I see. Did you have a good relationship with your parents? My mother, yes. Mm -hmm. Father? My father was very exacting. He was very much older than my mother. And the one thing that he did, though, that really was a big influence on me, he was, uh, we didn't call it organic gardening in those days, yeah. but because we were down, downwardly mobile, yeah. he had a garden, an organic garden, that actually helped to feed the household. So, the fashion business then, you... What was your inspiration there? Did you go to, to Paris? Did you study? Uh, how did you get those ideas when you started to do dresses? Uh, what happened was, um, with the money my mother gave me, I did a six weeks pattern cutting course, mm -hmm. and then used some of the money to open a small studio mm -hmm. and hung out Clodagh Haute Couture <laughs> and, and, uh, and started to, I, I hired, I always believe in hiring people that are better than myself and yeah. no more than myself. I have absolutely no formal training. Yeah. You know, six weeks here, a course there, what have you. And um, people were intrigued, came up the stairs and bought my clothes. Yeah. And, and what really helped was that the Irish Cancer Society was having a, a fashion show in aid of charity and they asked me if I'd do a fashion show. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a fashion show in one of the really nice hotels, Hibernian Hotel. Mm -hmm. And um, people really glommed onto it. And wow. then, uh, you know, and then I started getting fashion licenses to design for jersey knits in a factory in the west of Ireland yeah. and tweeds for a company in Germany. And it, uh, it kind of flew. 
And then BBC did a documentary on me yeah. called The Fashion Maker, and that kind of blew everybody's socks off, and, and <laughs> I was up and running. So how long did you do this for? What, what happened? I did. I, 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 I did it for a few years. Uh, I got married and had three children. Mm -hmm. And um, one part of my life, the personal part of my life, wasn't going well. So um, I decided to uh, change husbands and countries and careers and go to Spain, which is where, where I started what I'm doing now. I see. And I hired an environmental uh, architect, actually, who was on leave from Liverpool University to teach me about the environment. Oh. Even so, interestingly enough, when I was in fashion, because I'd been brought up in the country, yeah. and I was very aware of bodies, horses' bodies, dogs' bodies. You know, I rode, I rode quite a bit. Yeah. And how you keep uh, a horse in good shape yeah. is that saddle leather must be soft, everything must be right, the bit must be right, the same with dogs. It's very easy for me to apply that nutrition that kept the dogs and horses was what kept the dogs and horses well, mm -hmm. but also that could be applied to the human body. I see. And because I broke my back, I'd been on my back actually nearly a year. It was a long time. Wow. I really hurt myself. I had a lot of time to think about it. So this, this, uh, all these aspects are sort of coming together, and then you moved to Spain with a new husband, and you started working on your own house. That's how I understood it I in the beginning. Yes, I, I started. We had a. I didn't speak Spanish. It's hard to shut the Irish up, so I had no way of communicating with anybody except my husband, who was a fluent Spanish speaker, his French as well. I said to him, I, you know what? I learn Spanish while I'm fixing the house. I'll work with the architects and everybody, you mm -hmm. know, so that's so, what I did. And then did you have clients in Spain? Uh, oh, yes. And so you, so you were active there? And, and you, yes, you, you no, totally. No, what happened was, um, again, it's like the, I didn't have to break my back, but I had, to, to start a career, but I had a need to do something. I'd had a, quite a large staff. I, I'd exported all over the world. I needed to do something pretty active. And uh, when the demolition happened in this beautiful old townhouse and there was dust everywhere and the 14-foot-high shutters, the sun came in and there was light that, that struck the motes of dust. And uh, I had this moment, you know, I, this is what I want to do. I want to clean out these old houses and fix and build. I want to build. Yeah. So when my husband came home that evening, I said, I've decided what I want to do here. And the, the, the street level um, shop front is going to be my design studio. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it was an epiphany in, in that way. It was an epiphany. Most yeah. things I've done have been epiphanies. <laughs> and your husband seems to be, he's still your husband, so he seemed he to is. be uh, yes. uh, also enjoying these... Uh, these adventures. He, so, he changes too, so it's very, it's very good. He's perfect. done a lot of things in his life. Oh, that's a sign of a really great marriage. Yeah, it is. What did Spain do to you, do you think? Uh, what elements of today can you relate to your, 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 your experience in Spain, if it's possible to say? Well, first was freedom. Mm. You know, because the Irish society in that time was a little bit uptight. I'm, I'm not uh, Catholic. Yeah. And, you know, there was a very, very solid church, you know, monitoring a lot of stuff. And I went to Spain, where there's also a very solid church, but, but nobody knew me. Yeah. I was very well known. I'd been on television. I, you know, I couldn't go into, an, into a bar in, in West Cork without being recognized. You know, <laughs> so it was, it was freedom. Yeah. And also um, sunshine. Yeah, that's important. Sunshine and... Um, I, I, uh, and doing something I'd never done before, plunging into research. I mean, I, 
the the early contractors I worked with couldn't read drawings. That was fine. I couldn't draw, mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was putting tapes on the wall and stuff like that. I was very hands-on. So you yourself taught them more or less. Yes, wow. not more or less, more. <laughs> 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 I like that. What does the name Clodagh means? It means river, our river of sorrows, or deep dark river, depending what part you, your translator. Mm. It's a river in the south of Ireland. Mm -hmm. The spiritual part of it, I, I read there when I studied uh, your material here, you mentioned something about the Irish countryside with healers and mystics. So your spirituality, where does that come from? Does it come from your Irish heritage or, or uh, do you have other influences in your life? The Irish countryside, the healers and mystics were incredible. My mother would often had uh, healers, you know, who came along in rags with with bottles of yellow liquid that didn't look too good, but she took them, they made her better. You yeah. know? So I assumed there were other things than doctors. I had a fairly strong medical history, things to take care of, and, and anything that could make me better was interesting. Spirituality, um, I was rammed into church by in my boarding school three times every Sunday, so it didn't come from the church. Then uh, I discovered Buddhism, and. Um, very early on, and it's a way of life, which I like, but I'm very, um, I'm very general. I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not one specific thing. There's no ism here, there's no... No, it's a way of life. There's a quote that I love, that's up on the wall there, from the ancient Egyptians, apparently. When they arrived <clears throat> at their version of the pearly gate, mm -hmm. they could not enter paradise unless it answered in the affirmative to two questions. One was, did you find joy? And the other one was, did you bring joy? That's engraved on my brain, you know? <laughs> yeah. Do I leave the taxi driver with a smile? Or yeah. do, you know what I mean? Yeah. Or if he's in a bad mood, can I calm him down? You yeah. Know? So you're very much aware of your surroundings, and especially when it comes to people and environments and spaces. And, and yeah, I study like. people a lot because um, I study how they move through space. I look at them in airports, you know, constantly studying. I have probably about 40 books on wellness and meditation and this, that and the other, and I'm not somebody who meditates every morning. Yeah. I hate the word religiously, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I understand. But um, I do think I'm driven by um, help people to feel well, helping people to feel good in their space. Yeah. Because space has such a massive effect on people. I, I ask clients, for instance, what drives you mad? Yeah. <laughs> it's something that, you know, what makes life difficult for you in your home? Yeah. If, it's, if it's a, you know, if it's a resident. And then I apply that knowledge to a hotel room. I saw in one of the articles that, that you mentioned that uh, if you enter into a hotel room, you should get rid of your stuff in 15 minutes? Yes, at most. At yeah. most. Yes, that, and, that your room should be silent again and you should own it. And the same thing is in your home. You say the clutter, design away the irritation. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Have a place for everything, everything in its place. And don't let things stagnate in your life. You know, very often I'll ask somebody, can I open your closets when I go into them? And they go pink. <laughs> because I think that the way we design, we're a kind of flow through system. We learn something, we pass it on. If we have surplus stuff here, we pass it on. Like we got a sale on Tuesday, an in-house sale in the studio to raise funds for um, the housing works. And uh, everybody's bringing, bringing in their stuff that they don't use. I put on the drinks and snacks and uh, yeah. we have a good time. Everybody does a little better from us. 
No, I think it's important, as you were alluding to before, that you should you should uh, throw out things. You should change your, your life. I've done that a couple of times, and I've felt the horrible uh, anxiety of getting rid of things that you thought you really needed, but you'd never really use or, or read or mm -hmm. listen to. And then you feel light once that is done. So this clutter, what does it do to you? What, well, I moved stuff? so many times. So a part of the thing was that my parents were from very good families, so they had a lot of entailed antiques and silver and sideboards and <coughs> mahogany and everything. Yeah. And to see them carted into a truck again and again and again, and then they wouldn't fit. So they, somebody would come around to what put us through boarding school was the selling of the antiques. <laughs> we were all sent to different boarding schools. And I didn't miss them because as children we were supposed to take care of them, yeah. you know, to polish the mahogany table and the silver. I was delighted when they went. So as I say, Spain was freedom because I had nothing at all. I went there with two suitcases. So once you have experienced that, that is really uh, an asset for you as you move along in life because mm -hmm. you know that it's actually a good thing when things change. No, I embrace change. I like a, a quote that, that you had in one of the articles I read. Said, I don't like to categorize myself as an interior designer. I am a designer. I've never planned my career. I've always been open to seeing where things go. I do furniture, lighting, even logos for corporation. I'm like water. I like to flow everywhere. Even when I'm not needed. <laughs> I want it. <laughs> That's what led me to uh, consulting on um, landscaping. Oh. Tell me about that. How did well, that I believe in bringing the outside in and the, and the inside out, yeah. weaving the two together. And, uh, I hated it when we'd have a big meeting with our clients and the landscape architect would not be at the table because it's so much part, what you see out the window and so on. So I started consulting on landscaping and um, we've always used a lot of art. I just got an award actually for being one of the top 25, I think, of designers who actually specify site-specific art. Mm -hmm. So I was, I realized I was doing that, so now I'm starting art consulting. I started earlier this last year. Yeah. So your background in art, uh, you had an exhibition recently. I did, yeah. Um, it was the scariest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Why was that? <laughs> well, normally a designer with a group of people around them is not the only kid on the block, you no. know? But here you're it's it, you're it. Yeah. <laughs> There's no hiding behind a photograph or anything like that. That's true. Yeah, so it was putting uh, your heart out there. Yeah, exactly. It's like I love to cook, for instance, but when I have people over for dinner, you know, again, you're out there, you know. It's yeah. uh, those those eight plates have to be right, yeah. you know. See, the first time we met was at uh, uh, the Abington House in Chelsea. I lived there for a couple of years, and I, and I really loved the, uh, the design of the place, uh, the interior design. I thought it was uh, fantastic. And art there plays a very prominent role. Very, yes. So what is your background in art? Did you, did you join the art scene when you got to New York? Uh, have you always gone to galleries? or How did that come into your life? I love art, love music. So. Yeah. Uh, certain artists spurred me and I, I like particularly and then when I started needing art for my projects yeah. then, I, then I, I, I became more intensely involved with it. Yeah. 
Because it's a difficult market these days because some art is very, very expensive and it's hard to find art that has A, integrity and B, affordable. Yeah, but I found them. Yeah. I How have, do you find them? Uh, well, they talk, they talk to each other. They send their friends in, you know, yeah. or I, I mean, I, I, was, I go to Art Basel and I go to do the Outsider Art Show and stuff like that and find, find people there. Yeah. But I also find artists who are uh, in the neighborhood of where I'm working. So, yeah. for instance, for Six Sense of Douro Valley, we find a lot of local artists. Mm. And that was wonderful. That's a great idea, too. And then we did a spa f quite a few years back in Nima Colin Woodlands. And the, uh, we invited local artists to, to make installations. And yeah. then the day of the press opening, the artists stood by their art and talked about them. And that's what we want to do. We, we want to celebrate artists. I went to the Van Gogh, the big Van Gogh exhibition in the Metropolitan Museum. And when I came out and saw what they were selling outside, I cried because most of the things cost more than he made in his lifetime. <laughs> so I want artists to eat <laughs> no, yeah. and be able to take care of their children and pay their rent while they're alive. Yeah. So in Abington House, for instance, the art that is there, there's a lot of uh, paintings and there's sculptures and there's uh, light fixtures that are beautiful furniture. How does that process work? Do you come up with the idea of what should be on display or is it a conversation like in a committee or do people have, you know, you can't hang that there, it has to be this there. How does that work? I well, mean, we do. We prepare um, elevations of where the art will go. Yeah. They usually give us a budget. Okay. Which is, which is usually far too small, but let's not talk <laughs> about that. <laughs> At Abington House, we really had a nice budget. And the first piece we bought is actually right up there on the screen right now, the Tim Prentice. Yes. He's a, he's a wonderful, it's wonderful, a beautiful piece. wonderful artist, yeah. And, um, but I commissioned Terence Main. I, I love animals, uh, abstract animals in, yeah. in primitive art and so on, because they bring a, a, an animal spirit to a place. Yes. Uh, so I commissioned Terence Main to do the dog, the red dog. I love the red dog. Because there's no, no more welcoming thing than a dog, right, no. when you come in the door. So I thought, here's your welcome. Yeah. You know? You walk into that uh, big lobby, you see this beautiful sofa, you sit down, and then you notice that it's actually a dog. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, exactly. I think art is, is really healing, very good for well-being. Mm. And I've noticed that some of the hospitals now are including art. Yeah. And studies have been done to prove that the art helps people to get better quicker. I met a guy a few years ago called Dr. Richard Davidson who has an institute for the study of the healthy mind in mm -hmm. Wisconsin. You can actually um, scan the brain and find out what's going with neuroplasticity. You can actually find the effect that people has on the brain. You can scan it and find whether it's a good effect or a bad effect. I see. My first book was called Total Design and it really meant it. Yeah. <laughs> I actually, I have a toolbox, I call it a toolbox, mm -hmm. and I kind of check off, have we done, have we got the biophilia here, is the feng shui here, is the biogeometry here, mm -hmm. is the color therapy here, mm -hmm. and so, and so out of that toolbox Interesting. comes the project. Wow. Tell me a little bit about this. What are these different uh, sources of inspiration, uh, and what do they mean to you? If we take uh, feng shui, for instance. Feng shui is about the... Uh, holistic flow of energy through space and mm. not, not having stagnant areas, you know, so it's, it's all about flow and brings prosperity, all sorts of good things. And it means that uh, when I leave a project, I can know that uh, 
the project has been healed. Yeah. And that we've, in our design, have incorporated everything we can do to, to make people feel well. If something bad has happened there on the project or on the land the project's been built on, it can be, it, it, they, they actually can diagnose if there's a bad energy there or good energy. I was with, just with a healer, actually, on the project we were doing at the Algar. I see. He was holding tuning forks, just check, checking also um, with biogeometry the, the rays the earth put, puts out, whether yeah. they're healing or not healing, or whether they cross or not cross. It's a big subject, but I, very much like an engineer, I need an engineer on my project, but I also need a feng shui master on my projects. I need a biogeometrist on my project. Yeah. So you start there. It comes along as we go. If it's land, we, uh, in this case, there was the guy was there yeah. as part of the client, yeah. and so with that we started there. Yeah. Uh, with another large project in Tucson, um, I brought the guy in. Yeah. I said I need to, I need to have this land healed. That something's happened here, and I just want to make sure it's totally healed. Yeah. I see. I am actually. I'm not a feng shui master, I'm not a healer, but I'm very sensitive to, to space. Yeah. Did you do that at Abington House? A absolutely, yeah. It's actually a very good space. Proximity to the High Line, and then yeah. we brought the High Line in by using those big metal columns, which echo what's happening outside, and we brought the whole thing. We weren't allowed to use water, and interestingly enough, in feng shui, my master said, look, some things can imply water. Mm -hmm. So the water element will come in without actually having the water there. If you had looked very carefully at the stone we used on the floor mm -hmm. of the lobby, it's from under the sea and it has fossils in it. I see. We laid out the whole floor in Long Island City mm -hmm. and we placed the fossils in certain ways. You'll see there's a razor shell right beside reception and stuff like oh. that. You <laughs> should pay more attention next time. And, uh, well, uh, the, 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 uh, and then there's, there's mirror-polished granite tables out near the fireplace, that little place near the fireplace, and that they bring in the sky. Mirrors are very useful in feng shui. They're kind of aspirin in a sense of feng shui. <laughs> <laughs> they can be very useful. Yeah. Moving, moving energy around, you know. Yeah, and then the light goes actually through the floor down to the basement. Yes, well, that is, that is definitely a, a feng shui thing. I, I needed to unite the, the energy of the basement to the energy of the ground floor. Yeah. So I came up with that idea. People are used to having a rug in their vestibule or the lobby. Yeah. But in a multifamily building, that can be very hard to maintain. So we made our first concrete rug for the Abington House. Mm. It's beautiful. We're sitting here uh, looking at a huge screen on the wall where we have beautiful photos from Abington House. Um, you also mentioned chromotherapy. What is, what is that? Well, it's the effect of color on your, on your chakras. So everybody has seven chakras. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've got your root chakra, which it needs red, and so on and so forth. And there's certain colors that calm you down, hmm. and certain colors that uh, help communication. Yeah. A nice story, actually. I was in New Zealand driving, and you should never have a row in a car. I was driving with my husband. You should never have a row in a car because, again, in feng shui, it's a very bad idea because the bad energy is contained, bounces <laughs> off itself, and becomes more and more. You can't get out. <laughs> you can't get out. So we're driving along. I cannot remember what the argument was about. But we drove over a hill, mm. and down below us suddenly was fields and fields of lavender. Mm. And the scent of lavender came through the open windows, and we turned it. 
we turn to each other and we say, you're, we're being total idiots. So what chakra was that? <laughs> That's beautiful. That's it, a beautiful story. It's not good. I love the, the energy there. I've been in over 100 countries now, catching up with my husband who's been in 120 <laughs> because he was traveled, being a travel photographer for a while. Yeah. But the beauty of travel is you have an inner video that you can carry in. What, how much does a brain weigh anyway? Four yeah. pounds, five pounds. Yeah. And you have all these videos inside and you just said New Zealand and the whole thing came back. Yeah, you know? exactly. It's, and I, that's what I use to design too. Uh, that inner video, I'd, I'd dip in and... It's a beautiful metaphor actually, the inner video. I love that. Bill McDonough who said that everything, every living thing is interconnected and interdependent. Yes. So if you cut plants out of your life, for instance, yeah. you're missing that element. And they've discovered, for instance, that uh, people in jails, um, if they have a window looking out at a tree or something like that, they do better than the people who have no view at all, just on the concrete yard outside. Mm. They're doing a lot of studies about neuroplasticity. It fascinates me. Yeah. And there's, a, there's a book called The Brain That Changes Itself. I don't know if you've read it. Mm -hmm. but, but no, I haven't. I have all these books and not enough time to read them. <laughs> I, I think one of the most frustrating things in my life is there's so much knowledge out there yes. and so easily accessible. And I feel like I'm a water skater on that deep pond of knowledge. You know, I'm just scooting around on the top and I never have the time to really, you know, <laughs> swim down. <laughs> you get to meet a lot of different uh, um, professionals uh, and, and craftsmen and, and artists. And I mean, it's really... Oh, it's yeah. lovely. I call them my extended family. <laughs> no. And we have, a, I, I did a, a short-lived store, it only lasted four years, called Clodagh Ross Williams in the East Village, uh -huh. so that I could collect up the local artists and artisans, yeah. because nobody was using artisans. This was the early 80s. Yeah. Many of them are working with me still, including Mr. Red Dog. Can you say that there are people that you are very much inspired by? I love Ted Oando. Yeah. I love the guy who did Valse in, in Switzerland. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, have, I have a lot of people that I really like. Yeah. And, um, At different times, there are different people, depending on what is, you're yeah. working with and what the challenges exactly. are, I guess. No, I'll find myself at a table saying, that could be a kind of Tado Ando moment, mm -hmm. you know? And, um, have you worked with him? No, I haven't. I would love to. To call him up? <laughs> And, you know, it's, um, and I love the Dalai Lama for his sense of humor. Mm -hmm. uh, I love that he says, approach love and cooking with reckless abandon. <laughs> 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 no, no. Don't you love that? I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. No, he's a very funny man. I had the honor to present to him, actually, at the University of Wisconsin, and uh, he was so funny. Yeah. Yeah. And we, this studio is very much about laughter, too. Yeah. And wellness, I've understood. And wellness. Yeah. Yeah. It's at the center. But if you don't laugh, you're not well. You've yeah. got a problem. Yeah. And, and we actually had a laughter yoga session before, <laughs> before we came here in the other, in the other studio. But uh, it's, it's hard, actually. Um, it's easy for me to, to laugh because I'm Irish. But it's funny, uh, letting go and laughing and doing laughter yoga was quite difficult for some people in the studio. <laughs> Your philosophy um, in your new book, it's called uh, Life Enhancing Minimalism, right? Yeah, everything that you need and nothing more than what you need. 
but that, that, not does, that does not mean that you can't be comfortable and, and you can't have luxury, you can't have great art. Yeah. It just means that it's there because it, it's not cluttering the place. There's a book, I have never met her, by Karen Kingston called Clearing Clutter with Feng Shui, which I really, really recommend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's been out there a while, but yeah. it's, it really explains very well what happens to the brain. Yeah. My greatest nemesis actually is paperwork. When papers come in, yeah. <laughs> no, no. where to put them? No, how to lose them without, without scan them, and then you know. And what what the problem is now, of course, is our computers are getting cluttered. Yeah, I mean, there's enormous enormous amount of of. Uh, storage in our computers. Yeah, it's true. I, mean, I can go back through years of photography and writing and stuff like that. And, yeah. and I just don't want it to hinder me. Yeah. And it doesn't really comfort me to know it's there. No. <laughs> no. So what do you, are you on the computer all the time or do you have, are you sort of freed yourself from that and the, the people around you take the notes, provide the documentation? Uh, we usually, um, the the architects and designers provide the documentation. Mm -hmm. I'm a ske sketcher thinker, mm -hmm. um, reference person, um, you know, head designer, I suppose, mm -hmm. or CPIA, as we spoke. <laughs> <laughs> no. But uh, of course, there's always a flood of emails to answer, and yeah. also we have um, we have kids in Africa we look after, and that takes up a bit of my time too. So there's things I have to do. Yes, you're the board member of. Thorn Tree Project. Yes. And um, you help educate kids in Kenya? Kids, kids in, in northern Kenya, in the Samburu Desert. Uh, mm. The parents are totally illiterate, mm. are now mainly totally illiterate because they're getting older and having their own kids. We're actually doing very well with them. Yeah. They're, they're, uh, How often are you there? Do you do go? Not often. I've only been there twice. Yeah. Going again this year, but the chief came over, and so a couple of the warriors came over. So, so we're, I have kids that I directly sponsor, mm -hmm. but my job is raising money for them, and, and through actually through art sales, oh, as I, well. I see. And so, uh, do you have like an annual event? Is there something we can get involved with? That would be wonderful. Yes, we have, don't have an annual event. We have maybe four events a year. Mm -hmm. Just had a committee meeting. We're going to have an art sale. Mm -hmm. We have Samburu Week, which is usually in the fall, November. Here in New York? Yes, here in New York. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm also trying to link up with some uh, other people. Yeah. And we have uh, a little school in Ireland did a, a video for us with the Samburu students. Yes. So a little school in West Cork. <laughs> so, <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. I'll show you the video. So how can people get involved? Do you go online and... Um, go online or, or email me, cloda.com. And uh, very rewarding because every person who has education and gets a job, well, mm. we have kids now who are electricians, plumbers, teachers. Uh, we have an environmental consultant. <laughs> no. That's wonderful. So you can sponsor a student uh, for high school or for college. For $1,750 a year, you can send a kid to, high, to college. That covers school, books, food, lodging, and, no. and yeah, it does, yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah, I know. So it's Thorn Tree Project. Thorn Tree Project. It's a 501c3. It's a 501c3.
when you come to, for instance, the Abington House and you're going to start a project, you basically have a black box. How do you start? Well, trudging the site is very important, you know, going up and down the High Line, seeing what the communications are like, what's a nearby restaurant, what's, you know, what amenities there are all around it, you know, and realizing that it's a very flat site and you have to do something about that and bringing the High Line in because that's where it is. I mean, the stairs right up to the High Line. The developers usually give us a profile of the kind of person they think would want to rent that space. Abington House has 312 apartments with amenities and a dog spa and they wanted a kind of concierge feeling yeah. at front desk. We get a background from the architect and we work with the architects. Best scenario is that everybody's sitting around the table, the architects, the engineers, everybody mm -hmm. for the first few meetings. Yeah. But how, meanwhile, and, meanwhile, our brains are churning. Yeah. What does the profile of this person? Yeah. Yeah. And how was the, the architect in this case? Was he easy to deal with? He was actually. <laughs> he wasn't. The architect, there's, two kind, there's several kinds of art, architects. There's the architects, right? <laughs> and then there's the egotects. Oh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> a few of those. <laughs> but, uh, but mostly we have, uh, we are, let me see, one, two, three, four, five. We have six architects in the studio. Oh. We're not, we're, we're not we, as I say, we're not just interior design. We have been the architects on projects where it's legal to use a licensed architect. Mm. And we have, you know, we get an architect of record, for instance, the spa we built in uh, South Carolina. The nice thing about having architects on staff here, it, they speak the same language. So you know, when you're talking about tr trusses and beams and all these things, it's, yeah. it's, uh, everybody knows. Mm -hmm. I know through osmosis, I just absorbed it through the years. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what happens if, the, if there's an ego tech here and, and uh, we don't get along? How, how do you solve those problems? Well, um, that's where my Irish sense of humor takes over. And the army talk, the army tank has people laughing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so you put everybody at ease with your, your humor? Well, I think the fact that there's dogs in the studio, we have... Um, you, we, we normally serve nice things to eat and good coffee and stuff like that. It's, uh, the environment here is not uptight. You start with these um, briefs, you get a sense of where you are, you get a sense of this person or, or the kind of people who are going to live here. And then your subconscious is um, churning. And what comes out of that? Well, basically what we're doing is we're branding the building. It's like a brand. I mean, for instance, Abington is a related building, related as a brand known for, you know, for, for, for producing really solid work, you know, yeah. places to live. So uh, what we do is uh, you've got your foundation of what you need to put there. Mm -hmm. And then you think, what can I add to make people interested and happy? So we had put in a quiet room, first quiet room. Yeah. That was a, that was a big deal. Tell us about the quiet room, because that is one of the pearls in this creation, I think. Well, I occasionally give lectures about different things, and one I did was, about, I did a three-minute lecture on one of the greatest pollutions for the human race, which is noise pollution. So it was around then that I did the quiet room. <laughs> and also, if you're stuck in an apartment with a partner, and there's one bedroom, or it's a studio, you have to somewhere to, where you can go and just be with yourself. The first day I went, after it was installed, I went, I went in, uh, and there was a guy sitting in full lotus position in one of those chairs. 
and there was a nanny sitting reading with a baby sleeping in a cradle. And I thought, Wow. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Mission accomplished, yeah. It is an incredible room. It's, it has a very, um, it's almost like you walk into a church. It has this uh, very stillness. It's just uh, very relaxing and uh, there's some comfortable benches there and, and the lighting and the thing. It's, it's, it's just beautiful. And the, uh, the, the windows, of course, are, are, are false so that one of my jobs always is to uh, first few spas I did were all in basements. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's how to make a basement not feel like a basement. That's right. So hence the cut where the fireplace is, taking that long 14-foot slot, putting glass in it, and sometimes the light comes right down through to the club area. Yeah. And biophilia and in the um, exercise room, I took photographs of birch trees in Maine and, and digitized them. And so you get a feeling that you're in a forest at the, at the far end of the, where the machines are. That's right. That's so that's all, that's all uh, it comes from the toolbox. Yeah. Yeah. But it's Equinox who runs that part of the building, if mm -hmm. I understand it yes. correctly. Because I remember when we met, we talked about the gym, how to make it uh, less Jimmy. That's, that's hard, making gyms less Jimmy. Yeah. <laughs> how do you arrive at, okay, for instance, in the lobby, you have this beautiful sofa mm -hmm. um, uh, that is curving like a snake through, yeah. through the, the space. So how did you come up with that idea? That you, 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 I mean, I didn't want everything to be too rigid. No. Yeah, and I also, uh, I'm very interested in the loneliness project and the unlonely project, how, how much illness is uh, coming from people just simply being lonely. Yeah. Uh, so I try to create places where people can gather, hence the club, those giant sofas facing each other. Yes. Where, you know, other things can, you know, conversations can take place. Yeah. So somebody can come, You're creating a safe place where people can actually meet and flirt is important. Yeah. So if you wonder what's going on sound-wise here, it's the radiators that are, uh, hmm? this is, hey, uh, what kind of dog is that? She belongs to one of our architects. She's a half long-haired dachshund, half chihuahua, I think, something like that. Yeah. I'm in the, I, mean, I need a dog right now, so. She's a little small for me. I need yeah. something a little bit more muscular, but a rescue of some kind. Yeah. The Abington House, probably, were there any challenges, specific challenges for you? Well, one of the challenges actually was to get in enough light because it was s surrounded by buildings. And uh, so we used every trick we have to grab light. The lighting was very important there. We use great lighting designers. And we always have fire when we can. For instance, you're sitting under healing lights oh. for a lighting science group. And the people out there actually in production are sitting under a colder, more daylight light. So we manipulate people's emotions also through light. <laughs> Make them feel better. <laughs> I feel better already. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, imagine you were sitting in, in, in glaring um, fluorescence like a hospital corridor right now yeah. and interviewing me. You wouldn't yeah. feel the same way at all. No. And I would look awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. no, but it's wonderful here. It's very warm. And we built to last. One of our, one of our mantras, if, if I'm wearing a T-shirt, is low maintenance. Yeah. I hate, I hate, uh, I, when I go back to spaces I've designed years ago, I want them to look as good. And of course, the, the, the manufacturer, the materiality, the contractor. But, to, you know, I'm sitting here wearing 10-year-old boots, you yeah. know, because I, again, being brought up in the country, you, you kept things, you know. Yeah. And you took care of them, so we have we we all our installations are are easy care, low maintenance, 
when you're working with a client, I guess there is a trade-off here in terms of, I mean, you are you, and if you had full freedom of doing something, it would be in with your signature design. But if the client says, I'd like to have steel and I'd like to have uh, some more, you know, plastics and I'd like to have this and that, how do you deal with that situation when you are sort of having, you have a philosophy, but your client has a different philosophy? Do you say no thank you to the project or do you go in and try to interpret and try to make it as much as a your design? Uh... Well, it's not, it's, it's never one's design. It's because we're chameleons. If you'd walked in in a pink suit, for instance, and you know, and, you know, in stiletto heels, yeah. uh, I'd look at you and think, hmm, how can I ground this person? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, you know, we're chameleons. Yeah. We have to be chameleons. Yeah. It's not about us, really. It's about the person or else the people who are going to dwell in the building. Yeah. We just did three towers out in Jackson Park. Mm -hmm. um, 1,875 apartments, I think, with a total cross-section of people. What we're looking at is a kind of universality of design, cross-cultural, cross-generational, that, that will appeal to everybody. Yeah. And there's a lot of places that do appeal to everybody because it's not just about one thing. You know, we're, I th think we're not one-note Johnnies. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Exactly. Now, you've done some, a lot of different projects. You have a wide range of projects. Spa, playgrounds, yachts, multifamily buildings, hotel, restaurants, private homes, logos, furniture. What's on your bucket list of things that you would love to do that you haven't done? I would love to design a museum, an art museum. Yeah. I would love to, to design a school because I think the schooling system is not working so well. I'd love to design a hospital, put the hospitality back into hospitals and make people feel good there. Yeah. I've had a lot of, <laughs> a lot of accidents and stuff in my life. I had more hospitals I, I care to think about, and they're all mostly ghastly. So it would be lovely to work in a hospital. I would love that. Put hospitality back in the hospital business. Exactly, like <laughs> exactly. And then I'd, I'd love to work on... Um, I hate the word senior living, but I, I love the idea of cross-generational. Mm that you have buildings and can actually, uh, that have universal design, so an older person can live there without breaking their neck, instead of warehousing people. Yeah. Like it to be cross-generational, cross-cultural. We're all united. Well, Abington has. I mean, when I met people there who were older people who had sold their homes, their large homes, and I call that upsizing, because they're living in, a, living in an apartment, for instance, where there's full service, you can have any service you want, basically. Your dog will get washed, you know, you can, you can call in, take out, and it's, uh, is that senior living? Yeah. Well, it's, it, 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 there's older people living there, but why, why is that suddenly senior living, you know? <laughs> no. yeah. I would love to do that. So I'm very interested in the, uh, they have a dementia village, for instance, in, in Holland, where you actually check in, but people with dementia can actually go into a coffee shop and so on and so forth, and they've got, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's recognizing all the diseases we have and the problems we have and, and, yeah. and help people to enjoy their, their last days. The lecture I gave at the uh, Global Wellness Summit was called Wellness, was called Wellness by Design, From the Cradle to the Departure Lounge. <laughs> and that's, that's the way I think, again, it should be. Design is a healer. Yeah, design is a healing art. It, it really is a healing art. You can make people feel well through design.
I find that interesting that this is the, really the, the mission of designers. Uh, you know, if you do decorating, I mean, if you do decorating, it seems more like cosmetic. It hair, means like, hair and makeup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hair and makeup, you're right. Yeah, we don't do that. No, design is, 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 is something uh, quite different. It's from the inside out, really. Yes. How has the digitalization of society affected your work in design? I think it's made me even more strong about when I'm doing multifamily buildings or homes to create places where people can gather and actually talk. Trying to mount a campaign against restaurants where you go and the din is so loud you can't have a conversation. So I see, for instance, people at, sitting at the same table, maybe four people and three of them are on their devices because it's so noisy they can't hear each other. I actually sat next to some people who were texting to each other across the table. <laughs> So what, how it's affected my work is I'm trying to make it easier and easier for people to communicate. All our kitchens are open, that mm. we possibly can, so that you have the theater of cooking and people can sit across from the counter and you can have a conversation. Verbal communication is very important to me. After all, I was born in Oscar Wilde's house yeah. and the Irish are talkers. I, I find it sad that when I'm talking to somebody and they're yeah. <laughs> on, the, on the device. Because I'm not just a designer, I'm a travel guide in a sense, you know. Um, it, it, if you're a tourist, for instance, in this strange country, uh, you, have, you have places that you've looked up that you want to go. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with clients. But mm -hmm. my job as a travel guide in, in design is to take them to places that they wouldn't have thought of going to. Yes. So, and I can do that digitally yeah. by, by showing digital references and so on so easily. And we're sitting here in a room with two giant screens, so we are, we are really online and, yeah, uh, and these, hooked up. These keep flicking, so to, normally they keep rotating. Again, I, I, I get inspired by my old work as well. That worked. Yeah. <laughs> no. Were people happy there? There's your quiet room. That's my quiet room. Yeah, and that's the fireplace. Look at that. Again, success. The day we lit the fire for the first time, I came back later in the afternoon and there were two people who had moved in already s splitting a, a bottle of wine beside the, <laughs> beside the fire. <laughs> and yeah, check, that, that worked. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> worked. That's the most selfie elevator in the world, apparently, according to some stuff we read. That's the East Hotel in Miami. So that was, what would you say? People go in and selfie themselves oh. in our elevator. <laughs> <laughs> and selfies are really great because they, if we give people a selfie moment, it's great because the uh, hotel gets uh, free publicity. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's a very good... It's so very the elevator, could we go back to the elevator? Sure. So the elevator is made out of glass? It's glass, it's glass, yeah, with the, with the kind of digital and lighting behind it, so it's infinity. And then the mirrors on either side reflect it. I see. So you're actually in... Uh, by the way, the, the symbol on the floor is uh, biogeometry. It refers to grounding. And this is in the East Miami mm -hmm. Hotel. About 350 rooms, I think. But there again, you see, we, we, we bring in that tumbled limestone to give a feeling of uh, serenity, but also a feeling that it's of uh, grounding. I like to be grounded when, when I walk into it. A lot of the buildings we're doing now, the, the architects bring the windows to the floor, so we try to ground people, you know. It's 
So people who are listening to this podcast now, they may sit at home and they're thinking, how should I, how should I fix my apartment? What should I do for all this? Do, what, is, what would be your top advice to people? Free advice <laughs> here from, from one of the world's greatest uh, interior designer, or designer, I should say. I think to get uh, three pieces of paper and start writing what you, what you really want, plus mm. minus interesting, very quickly. What do, I don't, what do I not have that I would really like to have? What can I add? <laughs> what might be interesting to add? You yeah. know, like a water fountain sound or something like that. Yeah. Write that down. Yeah. And having done that, open every closet door, every kitchen cabinet, and get rid of all the junk that's in there. You know, the outdated <laughs> stuff in the refrigerator. Yeah. And do a massive cleanse. Yeah. That's a massive cleanse. And that'll give you new energy to start thinking about what you really want. Yes. And what we say to clients who don't have an idea, even after seeing our full show, but don't have an idea what they want, we say, go out and buy 12 architecture and design magazines. Yeah. And just rip out the pages you like without even thinking why you like them. What is it? Somebody said the native view of resolution is sickly door by the pale cast of thought. I think it was Shakespeare. But you shouldn't always think about something. You should react sometimes. Yeah. Pondering doesn't necessarily work in design because the mind is very quick. Feeling your body in space, you know. Yeah. We have what I call the flop test on sofas. If you can't drop into a sofa or an armchair, yeah. it's not soft enough. It's yeah. not going to be a nice place to read. So actually, auditing, auditing, it's like, it's like a financial audit. Yeah. Just go around your apartment or your home auditing. Do I really need that? Is that making me happy? When I, well, you know about Kondo, Marie Kondo. Yeah. yeah. But it's the same with me. I, I, I go to clients' homes and I, I say, what's the story with that table? And they say, well, I got it in a divorce. Oh, okay. Um, how about... Uh, putting it on, um, online and selling it and getting a new table that won't remind you every time you sit at it of, the, of your failed marriage. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. That's the kind of advice I give for residential. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But it's true. You know, it's true that it, it, there is no such thing as an inanimate object. Everything, every object speaks to you. Every space speaks to you. I mean, we're, we're, we're a bundle of... Uh, really of receptors. I once took a photo of the desk that I have and then I looked at it and I said, you know, that was a really a good reminder or a wake-up call, I should say, because if you take a photo, you see the, you see the clutter. Yeah, and wor the worst thing you can do is take a selfie as you get older. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you see the clutter too. <laughs> no, no. But you're absolutely right. Taking a photograph of it is a very good idea. Yeah. Your home is the same thing. And you were saying earlier on, that uh, you know, when you get rid of stuff, you feel great. But uh, was it Leonard Cohen who said the cracks are what let the light get in? <laughs> uh, no, 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 no. I have a, a, a way actually of doing it. I did it with one of my friends, not as a design consultant, but as a friend. We had, we had three bags. Mm -hmm. One was out, one was keep, one was donate. Yeah. And we got a bottle of wine. <laughs> we played good music and it was amazing yeah yeah to going to the closet and holding up something going to the pantry and holding up something one of the things that saddens me about people holding on to stuff they don't need is that other people need it 
And uh, it, it, you never feel bad about giving somebody something that they need. But it is complex because, you know, when, when, when I go through this and you throw away things, you throw away parts of your, your history, you throw away things the way you have memories connected to it. And it's, it's a sort of a separation anxiety. But again, once you're through it, you feel relieved. Well, you have it in your mind. Nobody can take it out of your mind. Yeah. The mind's a fine and private place. Nobody can go in there. And you can push all your nostalgia in there and enjoy it every day. <laughs> I, I use, as I say, having, I, having moved so often, uh, I can remember a thing or two, but I, I have it in my mind. I don't have to own the piece. Last time I checked, we have eight listeners in Ireland. What would you like to say to them? Come on over. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Join the party. <laughs> Join the party. <laughs> Claude maintains a spiritual approach, a minimalistic style, and a goal of creating sensory enhancing spaces that gives you a big hug come in. And uh, that's what happened to me today when I came in. You had a hug? I, had I a, gave you one, I actually. had a big hug, yes. <laughs> no, Thank you. But the I space felt, gave the secondary hug. Felt very well. Or was I the first hug? <laughs> <laughs> you were the first hug. The dog, though, I think, hasn't really accepted me. I think he's, uh, he's, on, the, he's on the fence. I use the term that we go beyond the physical mm -hmm. in design. Mm -hmm. Mostly people think of design as something that's physical, that produces physical things that you can look at, sit on, mm -hmm. use. But our design goes beyond the physical because we're actually touching on, on the mystical mm. with feng shui mm. and on the spiritual. It's, it's, um, you feel it, but you can't see it. Yeah. But you do feel it. You do feel it. Yeah. This, this uh, office has... Uh, we had two feng shui masters on it, working working differently, you know. And um, uh -huh. it's um, people say it's very nice to walk in here. For instance, our our biogeometry guy has very small little resonant pieces. It's almost like acupuncture that he places here and there. Mm -hmm. you, you saw there's a large crystal at my desk, mm -hmm. or did you? The big crystal as you walk in. That's it's a protective crystal. And it's, um, I didn't have it there, and, uh, and the minute I put it there, I felt, uh, they put it there, I felt very protected and very, in my workshop, mm -hmm. very comfortable. Mm. It's also axial, you know, having something axial to look at. The light slots are feng shui on the way there by David's desk. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Do you sage the place? Hmm? We sage, yeah, and I do um, the wood, you burn Palo Santo. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I use... Uh, I use uh, aromatherapy. We use lavender, we use lemon, you know, we have certain things we mop the floor with to cleanse. Back flower remedies, every, every, any time there's a big change, and we feel it. If you've got a quiet, comfortable place to sit and think and just be yourself and, and examine yourself and see who you really are, uh, I think design can create that space for you and help you with it. And design can help you, for instance, if you've always wanted to cook and you're scared to cook, is designing a perfect kitchen that's dead simple, but everything's to hand with the minimal stuff in it. Yeah. You can, I mean, I have somebody who's just started cooking, for instance. I said, I never cooked. Well, I think you're going to now. And then we had the idea of bringing in a chef to teach the family how to cook in the open kitchen. And everybody's really glommed onto that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so your kids, you're, they're not kids anymore, but you have three sons? 
I have three sons. I lost one son. Oh, uh, but it's okay. He's he's in a fine place now. Oh. I have uh, eight grandchildren. <laughs> and are they here in the United States? No, they're all, they're, they're all over the place. Aus Australia, Ireland, and here. <laughs> wow. And I recently had a great grandchild. Oh, congratulations! I've got a great granddaughter in Australia. Wow. So you have to go there. Hmm? You have to go there and visit. No, yeah, I haven't been to Australia yet, but we're going to Melbourne. But it's kind of fun, actually, to have an extended family like that. Yeah. I decided not to specialize ever, because I think specialization is death. That if you're only running in one groove, you're going to miss a lot. And I have an inner adult with all the rest of me as child. It makes it easier. <laughs> <laughs> Housewife wraps my knuckles now and again, saying, how do you clean behind that? <laughs> so I have, um, I have noticed, actually, working with people, uh, residential people, working on their apartments and houses, that everybody is an intrinsic good designer. Mm -hmm. But they're just scared to acknowledge themselves as being good designers. So very often, I will take... Uh, a client out to showrooms yeah. and just stand by and not say a word and they'll almost inevitably pick out the pieces that I would pick out. I'm assuming I'm a good designer, that's why you're talking to me. <laughs> but seriously, it, it, it's very interesting to me that, uh, that there's some kind of authenticity that speaks to people and they go for the right thing. Huh but they're scared of designers. <laughs> so they're, they're kind of waiting to see what my opinion might be, and I don't want that. It's a very delicate process, this, because in a sense you are educating, inspiring, uh, and at the same time maybe questioning people. Oh, we're questioning a lot. We ask some quite deep questions. So I find the past of a client informs the future. Well. Tola, it's been wonderful to spend this uh, time with you in your lovely workshop Thank studio. Thank you. It's been a pleasure for me. <laughs> Bit of self-exploration, but a pleasure. <laughs> yeah. And a good preparation because there's more documentaries about you coming out. There are, yes. Yeah. This is Art Insiders New York and my name is Anders Holst. Thank you for listening. And be sure to visit artinsidersnewyork.com to join the conversation and subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode of the Art Insiders New York podcast, head over to iTunes, if you're not already there, to subscribe, rate and leave a review. It's very much appreciated. Thank you. This episode was produced by UOM LLC, copyright 2020.